Well, good evening. So I discovered uh, white hot chocolates over in Macon. And I don't, I don't know if you've had them. And so they gave me an account number to use this week. And I thought, because I wasn't sure if you'd had them, I'm assuming you're drinking a lot more coffee than you are hot chocolate over there. I thought I would just pass along the account number that they gave to me and you can make it of use when you go over to Macan and get the white hot chocolate and it's on me. Does that sound all right? Are you all right with that? You look, you do not believe me. So give them number 52 and enjoy one of those because they are like the sweet nectar of heaven. Now, don't use that number. Um, because that's the wrong one, and I don't know who it belongs to on campus. So if you give them that, I'd have no idea. It could be Dr. Wright. Now, I've covered a lot of ground over the last three things, especially those of you that have been here for all three. We've just covered a lot of ground. We've talked about taking the risk. We've talked about holding the truth. And then this morning, how to know the voice of God, like literally, how to know the voice of God. I want to take us to a new place tonight that is so critical. Um, I need you to understand what it means to be the church. To be the church, because I'm not sure that you're being told anymore. And so I want us to step into it today. Now, before we do, let me give it some framework. There are a lot of groups a lot of organizations that put a lot of hard work into building a very clear reflection of who they are. So I'm going to show you some pictures, some brands, if you will, without the names. And I just want you to yell out to me who you know that organization to be. Are you ready? Here we go. Give me the first one. Who is that? Oh, can I get an amen? Now, I mean, my daughter uh, is going to, she starts high school this next year, and so um, she's already kind of starting to talk about college, and I keep saying, you know there's a Chick-fil-A at IWU. Now, all right, the next one. Yeah, Nike. I mean, this organization, this brand, I mean, anywhere you see that, you know, right? Anywhere. Uh, I think there's another one. Pepsi. Pepsi, and I think there might be another. There's one more. Yes. <laughs> I know. It's, it's brand recognition. You know what those things are even when the name is removed. You associate what you see with what it represents, don't you? There are things that have branded the church over the centuries. And because they are reflections of the church, the world then, and, and understandably so, sees those things as also reflections of God. So for example, I'm going to give you a few more pictures that um, I think typically people associate with the brand of church. There are four pictures. Let's go through them. Right? Just a very traditional thing. Stained glass. People, it doesn't matter whether people are a believer or a Christian or not, they see that and they associate it with church. There's another one. Right? True? Does the world not look on? 
and see these kinds of things and begin to associate it with Christians and with the church? What's the next one? Now, you know, y'all, some of you grew up in this, right? I mean, some of you are like, oh, wait, that's church now. I mean, that, that has branded so much of church that when many of you think of church, this is what you think of, which is why so many of you view it as kind of irrelevant. Um, next one. Now, others of you are like, well, now that's church. Okay. Because that's what you associate. It has been branded in today's church culture. In fact, there are people in the church today that say, if it doesn't look like that, it's actually wrong. It has so become recognized. And so we have this diversification of a brand of the church. No wonder there's confusion as to what it means to be the church. Maybe the method has gotten confused with the mission. Maybe the church has been branded as a religion rather than a relationship. And maybe that's why God seems irrelevant and distant rather than personal and right here. Be the church. Isn't it easier just to go to church? So much easier to go to church. It's easier to build religion than relationship. We love it when it's religion. Now, we would never say that out loud. And we would never call it that. But man, do we love it. Give me the list. Just tell me what I need to do to be absolved of my sin. Just tell me what I need to do to grow. Just tell me what I need to do to be right. Just tell me what I need to do to get to heaven. I just need to know what to do. We don't want to know who to really be. Well, who to be is so much harder. Relationships, so much more complicated. Uh, let's go to a passage in the book of Exodus today. In chapter 34, when Moses went up on a mountain to meet with God. And he was going to bring God's word back to God's people. So Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. When Moses came down Mount Sinai, carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. Are you, can you imagine how many of y'all have left whatever your tent of meeting is, whatever your local expression of church is, and people came out of the place glowing? Because the spirit of the living God, because God was so present, they encountered him so deeply, they literally had to cover their face. When was the last time? So, when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Because you know what that's like when you get to meet with God. You get to just be. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. It was evidence that he met with God, that he literally, literally, physically glowed. 
Our lives should be such a reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives, we should literally glow. We should be contagious as the church. The church should reflect the very character and the consistency of God. Exodus 33, 11 says this. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a what? Friend. To a friend. Not giving him religion, but giving him relationship. These encounters with God gave him life. When the people saw him, there was no mistaking who he had been with. Every time he went in the tent of meeting, he came out a greater reflection of God. Again, I'm going to ask you. When was the last time anything about you changed internally or externally when you exited a tent of meeting with the Lord? When was the last time you encountered someone that you saw a visible difference and you knew you, you must have been with God? You, you look like you, you must have been with the Father. And we can hear that. I'm telling you, I know. We hear that and we think, well, that was then and this is now. Didn't Jesus Christ say, go and be the church and you will see more and better and mightier and stronger things than you have even seen now? And yet there's this dullness, this dullness in the church, this lack of contagious passion, just complete lack of it. And it grieves my soul. Going to church is so much easier, so far emptier. But we do it because it's what we're used to doing in every relationship we're in in this life. We earn our way to love. You try and achieve your way to recognition. We compare our way to acceptance, whether we have what they have, can do what they do. And then we face rejection when we don't measure up. And so please give us the list. Just tell me what to do. Stop asking me to be because being is just too hard. So we build a religion instead of a relationship. No wonder our glow is just gone. But Jesus brought the possibility of this. He brought the possibility of a new relationship. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul writes, So now you Gentiles, that's us, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his what? Uh-uh. Together we are his? We are his what? We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This was the radical thing that Jesus came to do. This is why he was so scandalous. This is why they wanted him dead. Because he just moved church from the building where you worship to your body, where you live it out every day. 
This is why they nailed him up there. It was completely scandalous. We in this room, all of us, every one of us, have had very different church experiences. We've all had them. Some good, some bad, some very ugly. Maybe some of you not at all. Church may not have likely been something where the people you knew that were a part of it emerged with any kind of a glow that evidenced any kind of encounter with God. I, can I just give you a possible reason why I think this is happening? I think maybe we've seen the church turn preferences into convictions. Preferences. Um, style of worship. Preferences. Big church versus small church. One of my favorite debates to get in. I would love to have it with one of you afterwards if you would like to have it. Is big church versus small church. Big church, they don't like to disciple. They water down the gospel. Small church, they don't like to evangelize. They don't want to grow. They want to keep the, keep the, keep the kingdom small. All those stupid things that people say. Big church versus small church. It's a preference, really. A preference. Um, churches where no grace is given. Very legalistic. Or you can have a church where the preference is no truth is given. Everybody just kind of do whatever you want. We all have preferences. There's a new preference emerging today. I'm going to say it, and I'm just going to make some people mad. Um, a new preference that's emerging today is the preference that says, I want to go to a church that has an equal number of ethnicities in the crowd. An equal number of gender. And if it doesn't have it, well, it's not the right kind of church. And it's damaging. It's a preference. But see, preferences have been turned into convictions. And they're not. Let me give you some convictions that the church should be grabbing a hold of. That those of you who will be leaders in the church of tomorrow got to get a hold of. First one is that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And the bride of Christ is the church. And he said, now you do what I did. Um, he is the solution. Jesus is for poverty. He is the solution for hopelessness. He is the solution for ISIS. He is the solution for every person, place, or thing. Jesus Christ is the solution. Jesus is the primary way, Jesus' primary way of reaching the world is through the local church. Notice Jesus did not start a bank, he did not start a business, he did not start a hospital, he did not start a school, he started a church. All of those things are good things, they are not bad things, they are very, very good things, but they are not the thing. The church, a conviction is that the church is the hub of life because Jesus is the hope. The church is not optional for believers. It's just not. I said this in, in earlier this week. The people who say the church is optional for believers and you don't have to go to church in order to be a believer are people who do not like accountability and do not like authority. It's true. Y'all right? Y'all all right? It's very true. People want to go off and they want to do their own thing and they get weird. It gets weird real quick. 
because they have nobody keeping them accountable, nobody giving them perspective, nobody speaking in anything. They get to make up whatever they want to make up. The church should be come as you are. The church should be everybody's welcome, everybody. It should be nobody's perfect, and it should be anything is possible. The church, a conviction in that you cannot miss it all throughout the gospel is that it is okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay that way. And that is the essence of the church. A conviction of the church that the most effective way to reach the world is to love them and serve them. Do you know what doesn't reach the world? You know what isn't loving? Cultural commentary on social media. Stop it. Do you know what the world does not say? Hey, all those Christians that are lamenting over everything happening in the world, I think I want to follow the Lord they say they serve. You know what isn't ser- loving? You know what isn't serving the world when Christians, when the church decides to boycott an organization because the cross is not on their Christmas cup? That is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to do a new thing. See, preferences care far more about how it's done than why it's done. And in the church, I want to suggest to you that many of you have learned and you love living by preferences because it helps you avoid having to live by conviction. You're not even sure what you believe. And so you're going to hold tight to preference. Because that world of conviction is too far and too deep and too overwhelming. So you play the role. But you're clearly not encountering God. You have religion without relationship. And you just can't figure out for the life of you how to get the glow. It's not that you don't want it. You don't know how to get it. You don't know what it means to meet with God. You don't know what it means to go into a tent of meeting with the people of such contagious passion that you can't even help but just take some of theirs. You don't even know what that's like. But to be the bride of Christ, the church has to reflect Christ. The church is the hope of the world. Now, no matter your church story, no matter our preferences, I have preferences. And here's the thing. I lead a church, which means I could exert my preferences any day I want. I could come into any meeting, any day, anywhere, throw down my authority trump card and say my preferences will stand. And the day I do that, it's over. It can't be about my preferences. It cannot be about... um, the person, just the one staff member's preferences. My husband is our worship and creative arts pastor over all of our creative arts department. Don't you know that between the two of us, we could certainly establish an agenda for a church, right? But it can never be about that. 
That's a very, very dangerous thing. It has to be about everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. And because we believe God is writing his own story for the church, we are committed to just being a part of that story. Can I just ask you men and women, do you want, don't you want the church to write a new story? Don't you want to see the church do something radical, different? Don't you want to not hate coming to chapel? Don't you want to think you would never in a million years skip? Don't you want to be able to not wait until Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever it is you go to church? Don't you want to not be able to barely control yourself until you get to gather with people in the tent of meeting, worship him in full abandon, hear the word broken open before you and leave with the glow? Don't you want to actually see something like that occur? Don't you want to see signs and wonders? Don't you want to think that when you pray for healing, it could actually happen. Don't you want that? Why don't you think, why don't you think it can happen? Why have we acquiesced? Why have we laid down? Why have we said that was then and this is now? Why? Why have we said that? I have a daughter, I just I have a daughter that will be here, here or somewhere in four years. And I was just talking to my husband Jeff today, and I said, you know what, babe? I'm watching here. Because what you do paves the way for her. And I want her in a place that is in love with the bride of Christ, because they're in love with Christ. This isn't just about you. This is about my child. And I am a fierce mama. But don't you want it? You are the hope of the world because you are the church. Don't waver. And don't get cynical. Don't, I, I'm not anti-education. I have multiple degrees. I'm not anti-education. It's really easy to get cynical in the classroom. Because you read a whole bunch of books about church. Can you just trust me when I tell you reading about it and doing it is a whole different matter? Reading about it and being it is a whole different matter. So don't shrink back. And if you don't like it, lean into it. If you really don't like it, lead it. And if you hate it, you are it. So you gotta take a look at yourself. I'm not telling you not to have preferences. Again, we all have them. But hold them loosely, would you? Would you just hold the mission deeply to make the name of Jesus famous, to build the kingdom of God? And don't care so much about methods because they will change. 
They will change in five years, they will change in 10 years, and in 20 years, what was popular 20 years ago will be the new thing again. That's just the way it works. Let me tell you what to look for in a tent of meeting. Find a place where people are getting saved. Last year at our church, almost 700 people came to know Jesus Christ for the first time. And I'm not telling you, those are not people that just raised their hand or, you know, we just kind of went one, two, three, four. Those are people that gave us all their information. They are people that walked down front. They are people we had a conversation with. We We put into discipleship. That is how many people decided to do that. Find a place that does that. Churches that don't talk about Jesus and do not offer opportunities for salvation, they are not growing the kingdom of God and they have morphed into a social club. Find a place where salvation is happening. Find a place. Is the Holy Spirit there on the sidelines or is he saturating the place? Is the Holy Spirit free to move? Or is it a place that goes, we don't know about him. He's kind of like God Jr. to us. So, We just, you know, we're actually going to talk about the Holy Spirit tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Now, it's going to be really good. Um, You want to be there. Uh, Find a place that he's allowed to work. Find a place where truth is spoken. Please find a place where truth is spoken. Political correctness is killing the church. That's right. It does not matter what color you are. It does not matter if you're a man or a woman. Stop talking about it and just be it. No, women, I will not give you a job in ministry just because I'm a woman. You just better be good. There's too much at stake. Find a place where truth is spoken and find a place where grace is given The church has become so afraid of sin. We're so afraid of sin. What are we going to do if sin walks in the door? You know? Oh no. <laughs> you know, I'm in the door. It's here. All right. We've been promised victory in Jesus Christ. That means no matter what sin someone brings in the door. No sin is too great that we should not be able to look at that person in the eye and in the face and love them well. They are not liabilities. It's not too much for God to handle and it's not too much for him to redeem and to restore. And look for a church that is intent on being the hub of life in the community. It is not the government's responsibility to take care of the least of these. It is not the school system's responsibility. It is not the education system. It is not any system other than the bride of Christ. It is our responsibility, our mantle to be life and be hope inside of every community. Find a church that doesn't want to be just internal, but wants to break down the walls and be external and go out into the people. Please find that. And let me say this to you when you're all sitting there thinking, I don't know, can I find that? Is that around here? I don't have the answer to that question for you. What I can tell you is if you don't think you can find it, good news, you are it. Go in and be it. Go in and be it. 
I am a pastor's kid. I am a grand pastor's kid. <laughs> what do we call it? Um, my whole family is full of ministries, full of pastors. I grew up in a fishbowl. Those of you who are ministry kids, you know. <laughs> and I've seen the church be beautiful and bold and powerful, and I've seen the church be ugly and cold and painful, and I have been told more than once that pastor's kids are one of two things, perfect or far from it. I learned early on that I could not be perfect, and so I chose I'll be far from it. And I was held at arm's length by many in the church because of it. They thought I was just rebellious, that I was just in sin, didn't know what to do with me. But then there were others in the church that loved me. It's a weird thing, the church, isn't it? That you can be both shunned and loved, depending on who's got the glow, right? I had some youth workers when I was in middle school, uh, Dave and Brenda Blackburn. Maybe a few of you know them. And they saw all of that on the external part of me, but somehow they were able to see deeper into me and they started to call out, Heather, we think you might be a leader someday. You are more than how you look. You are more than what you can offer physically. You are more, you are more, you are more. They began to breathe that into me. After I got married, my husband and I, there was an 82-year-old couple that began to pour their lives into us. And after our marriage broke apart because my husband um, was addicted to porn and was used to being a user, and I was one used to being used. So we came together, and it was a recipe for disaster. And when disaster occurred, this 82-year-old couple says, we are not afraid of your sin. And we are going to love you back to Jesus. There was a woman in a church that we were at when I was in my early 20s. Her name was Gail Kerstetter. Some of you might know her. She's at Southern Wesleyan now. Um, I was walking through the church one day, and she looked at me, and she said, Heather, you seem and look like you're in a lot of pain. And I thought I had been hiding it well, but she saw it on my face because she had the glow, and she said to me, you know it doesn't have to be that way. And she loved me to Jesus. When I was a junior in college, Southern Wesleyan University campus where I had gone to try and run from my problems. After a chapel service, probably one of the few I attended. I don't remember what the message was. I don't remember anything else about that night except for this. A pastor that was in the Wesleyan denomination, he has since passed away, his name was Jimmy Johnson. He came up to me when I was 20 years old. And nothing about my life suggested anything good. He said, with tears in his eyes, he says, I don't know you. But God just told me to come tell you. 
that you are a Peter and you are going to be someone he uses to build his church. I had no idea what that would mean in my life. I had no idea that he was speaking a prophetic word over me. I had no idea. But what I do know is that while some in the church may have shunned me, there were so many that loved me. And it is because of this perfectly imperfect, beautifully painful organism called the church that I am standing here. And you are the church of tomorrow. So many of you are going to graduate, some of you this year, and some of you the next year, and you're going to go on, and you're going to go into fields and, and careers, and some of you into ministry. You're going to be lay people, leaders in the church, and some of you are going to be ministers in the church. You are going to be the organism of the church. Please, I beg if you do what people did for me. Be the church. Live under conviction. Stop caring about preferences. There is too much at stake. Too much to risk. Being unwilling to be brave and to be bold. Please, please, please do not let anyone tell you the church is dying. Oh, it's not dying. It is alive and it is well and it is good. And it is the only thing that Jesus is coming back for. The only thing. The scripture says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It is not dying. Don't let anyone tell you it's irrelevant to your generation. It's not. Don't let anyone tell you it's in exile or on the fringe. It is not. It is the bride of Jesus Christ. The one who hung on that cross. Love it. Love it. Whether you feel it all the time or not. Maybe you're here and you've resisted church because you grew up in a ministry home. It's easy to resist church when you grew up in a ministry home. Maybe you're here and you've resisted church because you don't really see how it's relevant to your life. You don't, it doesn't make sense. You don't understand. Something good to do, but you know, whatever. Maybe you're resisting church because you just feel like you're performing a part in some scripted play. Or maybe like me, you thought, well, I can't do it all right, so I just won't do it at all. The church isn't perfect. It's just not. And I can't promise you you'll never be hurt by it. You probably will. But it's the only hope we have of change. It's the only thing. The only thing that can do what God has called us to do. Love it. Lean into it. Lead it. Be it be the church. I want to do something tonight. Um, it's a little bit risky. And I don't know you very well, and so I don't even know what you're accustomed to. I don't know. But I'd just like to try something. If I hope you're okay with it. Um, 
I just want to lead us through a couple of prayer moments where you're going to get to be the church, okay? Um, the band, uh, you guys can go ahead and come out. And I, let me ask you guys a question sitting out here. I want you to be brave and bold. Can you be brave and bold? Are you brave and bold people here at IWU Indian Wesleyan University? Okay. You need to be. If you have ever been hurt by the church, people in the church, if you have seen your family be hurt by the church, by people in the church, would you mind just standing up? Would you be brave enough to do that? Are you serious? Gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's like almost the whole room. Well, here's what I want you to do. It's gonna happen a little bit differently because most of you are standing. If you're not standing, could you stand now and put your hand on someone's shoulder around you? If there's no one around you that's sitting that needs to stand, just go ahead, everybody in the room, could you just make sure there's no one in the room that's standing alone without having someone else's hand on them? And I don't know, again, I don't know you very well, so I don't know if this is uncomfortable for you. I don't know, but here's what I want you to understand. I just want you to physically be the hands of Jesus Christ in a moment. Can you be that? And because there's so many of you standing, it's actually quite perfect because you all know that his hands are wounded, right? So you come together as wounded people putting your wounded hands onto other people that are wounded. Knowing that by wounds, healing can come. Would you let me pray? Please, Heavenly Father. Please, Heavenly Father. Please, Holy Spirit, come. And I have no idea what hurt was in the minds of those who stood. I have no idea but I have been in ministry and I have been in the church and I have seen the horrific things that have occurred, that have been said, that have been rejected, that have been shunned, that have been judged. I have seen them, I have experienced them. And so I can only imagine that in the room tonight, those experiences are just multiplied over and over and over and over again. Heavenly Father, could you do a mighty work And Father, for those ministry kids, for those kids that grew up in homes, and they watched, they watched their parents suffer abuse after abuse after abuse in the church, and they could do nothing. 
And many of them didn't even know why their parents were sad or why they had to move so much or why things were hard or why they had to struggle financially while other people in the church didn't. They didn't understand why their dad would come home after a board meeting was so rough. They, they didn't get to be a part of the conversation. They just had to be a part of the experience. Father, would you do a healing work in their heart? Would you do something miraculous? Would you move into their space and cover it? Would you renew a sense of hope for the church? Would you renew a sense of love for the church? Would you help them to know that the very thing that gave them the greatest pain could actually birth the greatest passion they have ever been a part of as they begin to pursue and to lead in the thing that brought them the deepest wound? Father, in this room are hundreds of students and inside of them, the potential that could be unleashed is extraordinary. Father, I pray that these people would leave here freer than when they came. They would leave here freer, freer than when they came, more hopeful than when they came. Help them know you see their pain. Help them know you see their hurt but it doesn't have to stay that way. It's for your glory we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, amen. Would you have a seat? I wanna I wanted do, um, I wanna pray for one more thing and then we're gonna close together with a song. One more thing. Bring those, bring those back up for me for a minute. I can see their faces. Okay. I have officially, over the last 48 hours, I think, talked to a minimum of 20 of you who are toying with, thinking about, praying about, going into ministry, but you're just not sure. I don't know why. So if I've talked to 20 of you, that means there are many more of you. There are some of you that have already decided that, and you're on the path for that, and you know it. Would you allow me the distinct honor and privilege as a minister in the church, as a leader in the church, to pray a blessing over you, future leaders of the church, brothers and sisters, who in just a few years, we will be in the trenches together, amen? So if you are studying to go into ministry, or if you've been toying with it, but in this moment, it is being sealed upon your heart that it is for you. Be brave and would you stand? Those of you sitting around them, I cannot tell you how much they need you. I cannot tell you how much they need you. Don't they, John? They need you. They need you. So would you stand and would you place your hands on their shoulders, on their head, on their back? Would you do that right now?
There should be no one standing that doesn't have someone with them. So make sure you look around. Anybody see anybody that just needs somebody? Oh, Heavenly Father, what you must think in this moment. What you must think and feel in this moment is you look down on your sons and your daughters surrendering to the call to walk in leadership in the church. What a holy, holy calling. What a hard, hard calling. What a beautifully painful journey. Father, I pray. Father, I pray for them that you would seal, seal it in this moment. Just take your Holy Spirit and wrap it around their soul, wrap it around their spirit, wrap it around their mind. Seal this calling that they don't ever doubt that when the hard days come, when they realize they're not perfect, when they fail, when they fall, that they would not doubt that you have still called. Father, would you seal it in this moment in their hearts? May they receive this calling in full. And for those that I think are probably standing for the very first time and they've been thinking about it and they've been praying about it and they just all of a sudden stood because they just finally know it. Praise you, Father, for bravery, for boldness, for obedient risk. Jesus, may there be freedom in this moment because there is freedom in obedience. There is freedom in obedient risk. And would you part the Jordan as they walk across so that others may walk across. This is what they are committing to. They are surrendering to getting in the river first. Give them what they need. Ignite a passion in them that never dies out. Father, may they not just prepare in the classroom. Teach them what it means to be in your presence. Teach them what it means to hear your voice. And Unleash in them spiritual gifts that they never even knew existed. Father, unleash it within them. Ignite it within them. Fill it within them. Give them spaces and places to use it. Father, and for all of these people in here who may have been thinking, I don't know if I can find a church like that. Is there a church like that? Give them a sense of hope because they have just stood knowing the church will be like that because they are like that and they are going to lead it. It is for your glory. And Lord, can I just pray this? I just really sense this in my spirit right now. There are people standing right now and they don't think their families will approve. They have no idea what their families will say about a, a job in ministry. Maybe their families don't think it's legit. Maybe they think it will go nowhere. They don't understand it. Father, I pray that you would just help them, help them to know, Father, that their obedience is to you and to no one else. And would you prepare the hearts of their family and friends right now in this moment, wherever they are, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and soften minds, soften spirits, that people who might reject someday would actually be open to the idea and to the truth of what is happening right now. And it is for your glory and for your honor and amen and amen. And all of God's people together said, amen.